0: Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Live Jammer podcast. Sitting in for Dr. Schap in the host chair, I'm with you You guys know me, um, editor of 2 and three I'm joined today by a special guest, one of the founding fathers of the Clippers blogosphere um, and the founder of ClipsNation.com and current 2 and 3 hoops contributor, Steve Parent. Steve, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm a little little bored sitting around the house, but that's where podcasts come in, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I think it's a, a little maybe a little bit of a boring time for everyone, but um that makes it if anything a good time to get into some NBA history, right? Which is why you're here with us today. So, I'm sure you saw um and I I'm sure a lot of people out there saw ESPN did this this thing last week where because the NBA has existed for 74 years, they kind of ran through this list of the top 74 players in the league's 74-year existence. And when I was looking at this, I, I don't know, I even like kind of without thinking, I just kind of expected that there wouldn't really be Clippers on it, right? Because the Clippers just have not been very noteworthy, I guess, in the NBA's history. But it's, it's surprising to me, even though these were all kind of little tidbits that maybe I knew about before, it's surprising to me how many times the Clippers were like so close To having that great player or like had that great player but traded them away right before they broke out or that great player came and got injured or or something like that um and so so you know I kind of wanted to talk through some of this kind of Buffalo Braves moving to San Diego history with you Steve um and maybe we can maybe this is stuff that some of our listeners actually don't know that much about so we can get started I guess with um something that's really wild to me and um, you can probably speak more to his dominance than I can, but it's, it's crazy to learn, right. That Moses Malone, one of the greatest players in NBA history who comes in in at 18th on ESPN's list was a Buffalo brave for six minutes in 1976 before they traded him. I mean, I, 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 I never saw Moses Malone play, but what, what, how do you even reconcile like a player that great having been gone from, from a team without ever playing for them? Like what was Moses, what was it like to watch Moses play and what would it have been like to like have him be a clipper or or brave and then a clipper? So Moses was,
1: I mean, a lot of this is just so wrapped up in the, in the other parts of the history of the league, the, the, ABA, the um, the hardship rule with the draft. So Moses didn't go to college and he went straight to the ABA out of high school. And then in the expansion draft, and, and you know, actually I'm I I remember Moses very well. I did not know that he was a Buffalo brave for six minutes. I think I may have known that at one point in time, but that's sort of you know that predates my my clipper fandom certainly um but moses was just a beast he just absolutely and and what's odd about it is that when he was 18 19 whatever it was when he first started playing he was very thin he was very frail uh but but what prime moses malone uh houston rockets philadelphia 76ers moses malone he was just this beast he was just so big and so strong and nobody could deal with him. Nobody could deal with with his size. Even though he wasn't tall, huge, tall like Shaq, he was just big and strong. Um, and he got any rebound he wanted, to, any rebound he wanted to get. He didn't have an array of moves, but he just overpowered people. So Moses was, you know, led the league in rebounding every year that i can remember i mean just always led the league in rebounding and um and just was this force that that controlled the the middle of the the floor on, on both ends and he wasn't a huge shot blocker that i recall i should probably check his numbers on that before i before i say too much there i don't remember him being a huge shot blocker but he was just just such a presence he just really controlled everything on both ends um and that that's kind of that's my recollection of moses malone from the uh from the nba days i never really saw him in the aba but in mm-hmm. his nba days it was just this just this, this beast this 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 guy that you just could not deal with around there let's look at his shot blocking
0: yeah and and i think like you said his rebounding you just look at these these years he he led the nba in rebounding in rebounds per game six out of seven years from 79 to 85 but even those these years when he didn't 15 rebounds a game in 78 14 and a half in 1980 in his best season 1979 he averaged 17.6 rebounds a game um and offensively like you said you know c- critique the the you know skill and the moves and whatever but he scored thirty-one points a game in nineteen eighty-two for the Houston Rockets. So clearly, he he wasn't having too big of problems on the offensive end. And yeah, this we is, yeah,
1: we, we weren't way into shot charts back in, uh, <laughs> in two, but it, but Moses' shot chart when when, uh, when he was scoring thirty-one points a game, it would you know it would be it would be the Montrez Harrell shot chart, right? Like yeah, nothing, nothing out of the paint, nothing. That is that's my recollection anyway.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, the Braves were actually for how young of a franchise they were, they were not that bad. So they they were bad their first few years. Um, But in 74, 75 and 76, they made it to the second round, each of those three years. And the next year, the first year that they missed the playoffs after that run in 1977, that was the year that they traded Moses. So we, you know, I don't know how much of a stretch it is to say, if they don't trade Moses Malone for draft picks and they didn't get a player back in that deal, they traded him for two first round future first round draft picks. If they keep Moses Malone, they might make the playoffs a fourth year in a row, a fifth year in a row, right? As he starts to become an all-star, all NBA MVP caliber player, you know, it becomes possible that the Braves don't leave Buffalo or that Moses Malone comes to San Diego to be a part of that chapter of Clippers history, which really I mean, it, it's hard it's, – it's so revisionist that it's hard to even play it out more than a couple of steps, but it just totally throws a wrench in the franchise's whole miserable history if they don't make this one trade, right?
1: Well, it's – I mean, it is amazing. He was only 21 when he was with Buffalo. So he came into the ABA at 19. He was 21 when, when Buffalo had him, and that's in an era when 21-year-olds just didn't really play. Um, But when he went to Houston, they played him, you know, 31 minutes a game I'm looking at here. And he was an all-star at 22 and for the rest of, you know, time. (laughs) Like 12 straight years or something. So just, you know, they, scouting wasn't the same. So many things weren't the same, but it's hard to figure how they didn't know what they had with Moses Malone. Right. How did they not realize Uh, and, and okay, they got draft picks, but did they, you know, did they get enough when you trade somebody and that's, that's in an era where you really didn't trade players, not for players. So it's a strange trade for sure. And, you know, he could have been, um, yeah, it would have, it would have made a big difference. I mean, you can do this with any franchise. You can look at at Mm -hmm. what, uh, what might have been, but, but boy, that was, that was a, uh, that was definitely an opportunity right there. Yeah. Just, just a year later that he became, you know, he became that Moses Ballone.
0: And I think, I mean, you like you said, you can do the what what might have been with any franchise, but this one almost feels like a like a Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan, what may have been, you know what I mean? Like Mo, Moses went on to win three MVP awards, to win a finals MVP the year that he won the championship. Like, I I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to think. And what, maybe what becomes even more sort of gut wrenching in this era of Clippers history is not just this missed opportunity with Moses Malone, but the way that they kind of just kept missing on opportunities. So just for the, for the listeners who maybe don't know this chapter of history, I'm going to walk through a little bit of kind of what happens next after this Moses Malone trade. So the Clippers, trade Moses Malone, or excuse me, the Braves at the time, trade Moses Malone for two future first-round draft picks. And then the next year, they trade the player that they selected with one of those picks, the other future pick, and an additional future pick of their own for Tiny Archibald. And Tiny Archibald, a guy that maybe fans aren't quite as familiar with um, as a Moses Malone, but still a Hall of Famer, an NBA champion, um, five-time All-NBA guy, but had a little, little bit more of his success pre-coming to Buffalo. Um, now, when he comes to the Braves, he ruptures his Achilles tendon and does not play in the entire season. So the Clippers trade a future Hall of Famer for draft picks. Uh, sorry, the Braves, not the Clippers. Trade a future Hall of Famer for draft picks trade those draft picks for another future Hall of Famer, and as has happened so many times in this franchise's history, he gets injured and never plays a game. It gets even weirder because this is, this is something that I think is probably unique in sports history, that in the summer of 1978, Celtics owner Irv Levin wanted to move to Southern California because he was involved in, you know, the Hollywood movie industry and he wanted to basically have his team be in Southern California where the rest of his business was the Boston Celtics are the Boston Celtics. You can't, you know, you can't really take the Celtics out of Boston. It does not make, it would not be good business. So Levin trades franchises with Braves owner, John Brown, and moves the Buffalo Braves to become the San Diego Clippers. And this is how the San Diego Clippers are born. As part of this franchise trade, they also trade a number of players. And one of these players is Tiny Archibald, who goes from the Braves instead of moving to San Diego, he goes to Boston to become a Celtic and wins a championship with the Celtics immediately afterwards, right? As part of this trade, and I don't know if you you know this or not, Steve, because it's something that is a little less well-documented, the Clippers had the option um, between taking with them Freeman Williams, who was uh, – do you remember Freeman Williams? Does that name oh, ring a bell yeah. to you? I yeah.
1: remember Freeman Williams.
0: Yeah, they, they had the option between taking Freeman Williams, who was a rookie that first year in San Diego, or taking the draft rights – to Larry Bird who would not come until the next year and feeling like they needed to sell tickets and Freeman Williams was a hometown guy. Irv Levin brought Freeman Williams with him to San Diego instead of Larry Bird.
1: No, that's true. That's a true story. You just told me.
0: That's a true story.
1: Wow. That's I'm kind of amazed at that because at the time it was, it was presented as the you know part of the Red Auerbach genius that um, that Bird had been drafted um, after his fourth year of college eligibility, even while he was still playing in his fifth year at Indiana State. Right, he was eligible for the mm-hmm. draft, and not everybody sort of realized it is the the way the story goes. But that they knew how good he was. So would a, would this have been before? It would have been before the actual indiana state season um, yeah okay interesting wow.
0: yeah so this is this is from a book by the way called uh, the curse the colorful and chaotic history of the la clippers by mick Minus that came out a few years ago and um he he talks about he talks about this in there is it's a really really well-researched good book and in it basically what he says is it wasn't. I I don't know so much that it was Auerbach knowing that Bird was eligible and other people not knowing it as much as Bird could have re-entered the draft the next year. So you could potentially have used a pick on Bird, and then had him re-enter the draft and get drafted by another team, and you just lost your pick. So it was a gamble, I think, by the Celtics um, to go for it, and. Yeah, so so you know maybe the way Clippers history is, maybe if the Clippers choose Larry Bird, Larry Bird decides to re-enter that draft the next year and, and not come to San Diego, but uh, it it certainly was the case in that summer of 1978 that Irv Levin, as he was trading the Celtics for the Braves and taking his Braves to San Diego to become the Clippers, had the choice of bringing with him either freeman williams or larry bird and he chose freeman williams
1: wow that's that i did not know that one that's that's interesting i love this kind of stuff by the
0: way (laughs) so the other i mean this is maybe a little bit of a sidebar but this is funny to me too these two guys neither of them kept the team for Right. right because uh john brown goes to boston and immediately gets on the wrong side of Red Auerbach. And when you're on the wrong side of Red, you're on the wrong side of the entire city, the entire franchise. He sells out his shares to a minority owner, I think within two or three years. Um, And Irv Levin sells the Clippers to Donald Sterling in 1981, after going through all that trouble to trade franchises and move to Southern California in the summer of 78. So he only held on to the team for three years. Um, And Sterling brings the Clippers of course, to Los Angeles in 84. And, and that's, you know, something that, that we're a little more familiar with. But let's, let's get back into this kind of franchise swap trade. So okay. the Clippers, the Braves slash Clippers, send Tiny Archibald, Marvin Barnes, Billy Knight, and a second-round pick to the Celtics. The Celtics send to San Diego Kevin Cunnert, Kermit Washington, Sidney Wicks, and Freeman Williams. Now, a couple interesting notes here. Billy Knight, who the Braves send to Boston, the Braves had just, just traded, actually, a young Adrian Dantley for Billy Knight and then sent Billy Knight to Boston. So that's another missed opportunity, right, is the potential to have Adrian Dantley. The draft pick that the Braves send to Boston in this deal becomes Danny Ainge. Right. Um. And, and just so, so all of these names here, Kermit Washington, of course, um, infamous for the Rudy Tomjanovich punch, um, comes to the Clippers. It go, come, goes from the Lakers to the Celtics to the Braves to the San Diego Clippers in, in that order, all within a few months. Um, and it just—I mean, I don't know. Do you have do you have anything else to add, sort of, to that? that short chapter of this franchise trade and all of these big names that end up kind of interwoven into it.
1: Well, the other thing that you and I talked about briefly sort of before we started the call, you, you, when you look at the Braves' sort of draft history, the, what they did, they had a rookie of the year in, Bob McAdoo. They had a Rookie of the Year in Ernie DiGregorio, and then they had a Rookie of the Year in Adrian Dantley. Um, and then, you know, for whatever reason, they decided not to keep Dantley. But it, you know, he—it's not like he hadn't been productive for them, right? I mean, he—he mm-hmm. he had had a really great rookie year. Uh, Billy Knight was a was a vet. I mean, he'd come into the NBA from the uh, Pacers of the ABA. He was an ABA all-star in um, uh, and he, I guess he was, you know, I I was thinking he was quite a bit older, but he was only 24 when they, when uh, 25, when they acquired him. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just Billy Knight for Adrian Dantley is, is one of those that's a bit of a head scratcher also. And they kept, they kept getting, you know, they kept doing this great job drafting and identifying talent, but then they just wouldn't, they, they for some reason, didn't want to keep it hard to know.
0: Yeah, let me, let me ask you this because so we're still in, in an era in NBA history here where there's something um, for, you know, for audience, I know you know this, but for audience members who might not, there's something called free agent compensation, where mm-hmm. when a team signs a free agent, the league would kind of step in and say, okay, since player X is moving from this team to that team, you have to give his old team, you know, these two players in this draft pick to balance it out. So free agency was a lot less um, enticing of an endeavor for teams during this era because basically any time that you signed a free agent, you were still going to have to trade value back to the other team. But, you know, I, so, so I want to ask about Bob McAdoo. And th- I don't know, this might be something that's, that's a little too obscure that you don't know, but when Bob McAdoo leaves the Braves to go to the New York Knicks, the Braves trade him for a guy named John Giannelli and cash and John Giannelli, you know, just looking at his stats page, obviously, you know, I've never heard of him. I don't know if you have, but he came to Buffalo. He averaged, you know, in, in New York before he was averaging 11 points and nine rebounds. So I'm sure he was fine, but he certainly wasn't um, Bob McAdoo who was you know, consistently an all-star, went on to be a Hall of Famer, you know, won an MVP award in 1975 um, as a Buffalo Brave. And so was it a case, do you know anything about this? Was it a case of maybe just a cash, like they just kind of sold basically a star player to the Knicks?
1: one one assumes that it might have had something to do with with Mcadoo potentially forcing his way out, although mm-hmm. in those eras they didn't have nearly the amount of power that uh, that they do now. But you know, League MVP in 1975 traded for John Gianelli and Cash in 1976. No, something doesn't add up there, right? Yeah. I mean, heck, Tom McMillan was was part of that. I've heard of Tom. Well, I've heard of both. I've heard of Tom McMillan and John Giannelli because, you know, I was fourteen. You know, <laughs> I started blogging when you were fourteen. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, so I rem I remember those names. But John Gianelli was, you know, was was nothing. You know, he wasn't. Yeah. He was He wasn't a. He was a journeyman, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and actually, you know, very very comparable maybe to Tom McMillan, maybe not even the player that Tom McMillan was. So there's something, uh, and I don't remember the situation. I do remember with McAdoo, um, you know, of course, he ended up winning some rings with the Lakers late in his career. McAdoo was always considered a bit of a head case. I I certainly could say that. Um, And and so when he came to the lakers as is you know as is often the case um when you go to that team that's got a chance um he accepted his role he um he he did he did uh, all the things that they wanted him to do he came off the bench for them he you know he just he was a he was a role player for lakers championship teams he was a sixth man type scorer um, and it was very, very effective for those early '80s Lakers teams, and very important to them. So, um, pre, prior to that, uh, and you can see how much he moved around in that era, right? Buffalo to New York to Boston to Detroit to New Jersey. Um, Mcadoo was, you know, was considered a bit, a bit of trouble. Um, now, if there's history, NBA history buffs out there. Um, that that can add more to that. I that's certainly my recollection. I don't have anything specific on that. I can't think of any particular stories, but I can remember when he came to the Lakers, and I was, you know, I was a fan of those early '80s um, Lakers championship teams, and I can remember when he came to the Lakers. It was considered sort of a, a risk on the Lakers' part to to take him on, and uh, and you know, of course, as is often the case, for that chance to to win, he sort of kept his nose clean and did what they asked him to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, I just looked quickly. I found a a 1976 New York times article um, that says that Bob McAdoo had rejected. He was in the last year of his contract. He had rejected an extension from the Braves that would pay $350,000 a year for the next five years. And the Knicks paid the Braves basically, million dollars for the last year of that contract um so that they would have a shot at re-signing him and so that that kind of feels to me more you know that that starts to make a little more sense but it's interesting because it still seems like in other situations the free agent compensation for a star player leaving was so good right why not keep him and and, why uh, not keep him and get the compensation because this is what we're going to talk about next with bill walton um So Bill Walton, who is a San Diego native, wins national championships at UCLA, gets drafted to the Portland Trailblazers, wins a championship, wins finals MVP, wins a regular season MVP in his first four years, misses year five in Portland with an injury, and then at the end of year five, he's a free agent. And knowing what we know now, this is perhaps a little less exciting because you know that Bill Walton comes to the Clippers and is, has a you know, rather unsuccessful tenure in San Diego and then Los Angeles. But at the time, I mean, this to, in my mind, this has to be like on par with a Kawhi Leonard signing, right? A guy who had recently won finals MVP, won finals MVP uh, three years before, won regular season MVP two years before. At um, I think he was 26 or 27 years old, leaving in free agency, choosing to come be a member of the San Diego Clippers. Like that is a huge bombshell free agent move, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and the Kauai analogy is is a good one um, because part of it was this this sort of Southern California kid makes good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Kawhi come from Riverside and coming back and um, Walton was from San Diego. And so, you know, here's this, there's a, there's a professional team in San Diego in his hometown and, and he wants to go play there. And it looks like a match made in heaven. Um, but the, the problem, of course, the, the, the dark cloud over all that was that his injury issues were massive and known, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. Obviously, and and so Kawhi does. You know, there isn't. There continues to be a bit of analogy there, um, but you know, it just now, no one really expected. It, you know, how could you expect it to be as bad as it was? But he literally missed an entire season, and so you're signing him um, coming off of a mm-hmm. loss season and he only played 14 games in that first season then also right so from from the age of 25 to you know for for four seasons he played 27 uh sorry 14 games Gee, yeah. Christmas he played 14 games in those five in those four seasons it's just you know it's it's tragic um his injury issues uh, but you know but they were known at the time also um so it was you know it was a great idea and it could have been a great thing for the city of San Diego, for the franchise. Um, but, you know, it just, his feet just were a mess.
0: Well, it's the kind of thing where I, you know, I'm certainly, uh, maybe, maybe this would be a good part of the conversation if Dr. Shap could have been with us today, but it seems to me like the kind of thing where 30 years later in the 20 you know, in the 20-teens instead of the early 80s. He probably doesn't miss four straight seasons, right? right? Like, they they probably are able to, to do whatever more advanced surgery. He misses time, to be sure. He does load management, minutes restriction. But you think about, like, a guy like a JaVale, JaVale. JaVale Mcgee. they had to teach him how to run and jump differently so that he put stress on different parts of his feet so that he did not continue re-breaking the same bones but they were able to teach him how to run and jump differently and he's good in the NBA again and so it feels like a situation where you know it's also the era just kind of doomed Bill Walton if he was around now he would have been you know able to to play more and help this team more
1: yeah I mean so the the fraught injury history of the Clippers Um, you know, throughout all of this discussion, you know, the, the, the longer ago, the, the ACL injury or whatever injury it is, the more impactful it was, but they're never good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously it wasn't with Walton. It was his feet. I'm reminded a bit of um, Zydrunas Ilgowskis. I'm trying to look him up right now. How much time did he miss? Because that sort of, um, huge seven-footer wear and tear my feet just don't really support my size that's the that's the idea that I that I think of and Elm missed um missed an entire season
0: and the season before really
1: uh right he missed two seasons and I was thinking at the time I thought oh it's a it's a Bill Walton thing he played 29 Mm -hmm. games over the course of three seasons but then he went on to have a great career after that. I mean, went yeah. on and and make all star teams, and so so. Even and even that, that, even that, even even
0: that is is twenty years. He like he missed that season twenty years after Bill Walton missed. Right. You know.
1: Yeah. But they were able to sort of get him back to the point where he could play. You know, eighty two. Well, eighty one games a couple of times. Um, yeah. So he, uh, you know, he overcame it, and it. You know, at the time, it looked to me like. Oh, here we go again. This is, uh, this is going to be a Walton situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, so, so as you said, you know, Walton comes to San Diego to, you know, much excitement and plays 14 games his first year, zero games in year two, zero games in year three. And right back to what we were talking about with that free agent compensation that made the Bob McAdoo thing or McAdoo thing so confusing is the Clippers in order to get Bill Walton, even though he signed as a free agent because of the rules regarding free agent compensation, they had to turn right back around and trade a few important pieces. Now nothing necessarily major, but I think the the deal for Walton was uh, Kevin Cunnert and Kermit Washington from that, um, from that Boston franchise swap and Kermit, you know, I'm, I'm sure you recall was a good player. Uh, he's certainly not maybe the Le- hall of fame, all NBA level of the guys that we've been talking about, but fans in Boston were not happy to see him go. And he was an important part of the Lakers teams before he was traded from there. Um, and they also traded a draft pick that ended up being a top 10 pick because Walton was hurt. So they give away two big minute players down low and a future draft pick to sign Bill Walton. And Bill Walton comes in and gets hurt and can't play for three years. And that is just like a, a death blow to the early years of the San Diego Clippers. And and maybe even, you know, a, a death blow to any hope that the San Diego Clippers could have been viable long-term, right? Because it's, um, it's after the third year of Walton not playing that, Irv Levin sells the team to Donald Sterling and Donald Sterling starts putting the wheels in motion for an eventual move to Los Angeles in 84. So, you know, I don't know, that might be a little bit, um, I might be connecting some dots that aren't there, but do you, I mean, do you think of if Walton had been, had been a little more healthy, like San Diego could have been a more viable home for the Clippers? Do you have any recollection of that being,
1: well, St- Sterling was. Uh, so this is. So when did Levin sell the team?
0: He sold it to Sterling in eighty one. Sterling moved them to LA in eighty four.
1: So you know Sterling was always going to move the team to LA. That was mm-hmm.
0: that was never not going to happen. Um, so
1: yeah, it would it would have to the the dots have to be connected. Is that Levin holds on the team? Um, but the the free agency thing is kind of amazing. The league steps in. And for a guy who just came off of missing an entire season that they sign in free agency, the, the league said, all right, you have to give up, uh, let's see, Kuhnert is, it's 17, almost 18 points per game and uh, 17 rebounds a game between the two of them. They're both, you know, they're they're both productive. Kermit uh, Washington basically uh, averaged a double double in his last year in San Diego, and Kevin Cooter was, you know, was was his backup was producing seven and seven. So, you know, these guys were important, and mm-hmm. the league just says, oh yeah, you have to get rid of them and a draft pick. Now look, Walton just not never having a decent season in San Diego. And of course, you know, we're going to get to, he moves on to Boston and yet again wins a championship um, as so many seem to do, <laughs> but, but his minutes, you know, he was a very, very, very different player in Boston. He was, he was supposed to be the franchise savior in San Diego. And when he went to Boston, he was a low minutes, um, high impact guy, right? It was. It was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna make a difference for the the few minutes of the game that my feet can handle. Um, so he was a very different player in in Boston, but he was just. He just never was productive in San Diego, um, and you know. And it, it's a shame. I mean, they they actually ended up building up a some some additional talent at that point. They had some decent players around him for a little bit there but uh just never never really happened in for for Walton anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's like you you know he was a much different player when when he went to the Celtics won the championship as you said, but it just really is like uh, you know salt in the wound that you know the the Braves move on from Moses Malone so quickly. He goes on to win um I think 3 MVPs a championship and a finals MVP. They move on from tiny Archibald uh, or tiny Archibald comes, gets injured, gets traded to the Celtics, wins a championship as the second best player on a Celtics team. Uh, They choose Freeman Williams over Larry bird. Larry bird, of course goes on to be Larry bird and win three championships and three MVPs and two finals MVPs. And then Bill Walton, you know, and this is all happening. All of this, um, all of this success of, Archibald and Malone is happening while Walton is sitting in street clothes in San Diego, watching the Clippers play because he's hurt. And then Walton leaves and immediately signs with the Celtics and wins a championship. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it, we, we talk about the Clipper curse in, you know, the last 15 or 20 years, but this is really the origins of it, where it really was like an entire decade of just like catastrophic, catastrophic, you know, whether it's a bad trade or an injury or a missed opportunity over and over again.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you think about all-stars missing entire seasons and here we have Tiny Archibald and Bill Walton, you know, both missing entire seasons, the minute they go to that franchise, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So I think that that kind of brings us to an end of this chapter of our discussion with um, this sort of Malone, Archibald, Walton series of catastrophes um, in the late 70s and early 80s. And that covers a lot of the Clippers appearances on this ESPN top 74 list with Malone coming in at 18, uh, Walton coming in at 48, uh, Mikadoo coming in at 59. But so let's, let's zoom forward a bit because three of the Clippers appearances on this list are from the last 10 years. And so we've got Kawhi Leonard at 25, Chris Paul at 40 and Paul Pierce at 54. Now, these are some guys that we probably need to spend a little less time talking about because I think everyone that's listening is sort of familiar with what, their contributions to the franchise were but you know it's curious to me to think about how even these more recent examples when the team has been a little more successful still feel like huge what-ifs and so this is what the interesting question for me that I want your perspective on is specifically with Chris Paul. Here's a guy who probably I think without much controversy can be said is the best Clipper ever. Maybe not the best player to ever wear a Clipper uniform, but did, has done more for the Clippers than any other player. And When you
1: factor in actual production with the team. Yeah, yes. yeah,
0: production with the team. Yeah, I think he has produced the most for the Clippers of anyone. And the team had its most successful era ever with him at the helm but it still feels like for some i don't know for someone in that position it feels strange to me that that it just feels marked by by disappointment by a lot of lows and not very many highs and i i wonder if that's something that is a recency thing that maybe you know in 20 years when i'm a guest on someone else's podcast and they're asking me do you remember Randy Floyd, right? Like maybe, maybe then I'll think feel more fondly about it, but I don't know. what What's your perspective on, on sort of the Chris Paul, is it, is it really just one big what if kind of in the same way that Bill Walton is a big what if?
1: Oh, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a Walton thing. Well, all. sure, sure. But, I mean, look, the, we have this tendency to uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Ricky Bobby right says if you're not first you're last, right? Um Talladega Knights. We have this tendency to say if you didn't win a championship, then you suck. Um and so these these Clippers teams, um the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin Clippers teams that continually made the playoffs and and, and you know one one playoff series um and did some you know did some impressive things they just you know they didn't win enough and it doesn't help that that there were these weirdo um you know the Houston playoff series the uh the Oklahoma City playoff series there were you know what they, they sort of crashed out ignominiously uh a couple of different times also so that doesn't help um but I feel like we probably overvalue the ring thing, uh, and, uh, which, makes us, which causes us to undervalue those players that, that don't have them. Um, you know, Chris Paul uh, – and, 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 by the way, you know, while we're at it, Kawhi Leonard, nine seasons into the league, being called, you know, at 28 years old, being called the – where did he come in on the list? What did you say? twenty twenty five? 25. 20? 25 that's that's ridiculous now look mm-hmm. i didn't make the list but that's that's ridiculous let him play a few more seasons you know it, it's just we have this recency bias we have a lot of and we have this championship bias um but no i mean Kawhi leonard is is an incredible player and is and is you know we, we can wait until his his career's over before we start putting him into the top 25 of the league kind of you know thing and and chris paul you know probably deserves to be uh and of course his career is not over but we do know in this case that we're talking about a 15-year career not an eight-year career you know he's been in the league twice as long um chris paul's amazing Uh, his chris paul's numbers um but he he never he never had much success you know and and uh And it's not just the rings in his case. He never made it past the second round of the playoffs. And so. He did make a
0: conference finals in Houston.
1: Oh yeah. Whatever. (laughs) That was James Harden's team. But yeah, I forgot about that.
0: Um, I'm sure he feels much better about it now. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So. um, But no, Chris Paul is, is a, a great player. And. Uh, and yeah, there are actually some, you know, there's some weird, bad feelings there also. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see uh, when all is said and done, like who, what uniform does he go into the Hall of Fame wearing, right? You know, who, mm-hmm. who is he considered? Is he going to be considered a Hornet? Um, he's got this, you know, he's got this connection to Oklahoma City at the beginning and the end of his career also, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, who is he? Uh, when the when the history is written, is he is he Chris Paul uh, of New Orleans, Chris Paul of L.A., Chris Paul of Oklahoma City? You know, more than most first ballot Hall of Famers, he's not associated with with just
0: one team. And um, he's you know he's a guy who I can definitely see having. Obviously, there's quite a bit of time still left on this Oklahoma City contract. We'll see if he actually plays it out with the Thunder, but he's definitely a guy who, because of his, you know, his smarts and his skill level that you can see having another chapter of his career where he's certainly not Chris Paul, but if he goes into a smaller role on a team and and can do some winning, that might be, you know, I, Jason Kidd to me, I think about um, the Mavericks before I think about the nets and partially that is, you know, me, me maybe being younger, but, you know, maybe there's, there's one more evolution left for Chris.
1: Well, and uh, he has the type of game where he can play, he mm-hmm. can keep for a long time, right? John yeah. Stockton played until he was 40 years old and was still productive, right? He wasn't John Stockton anymore, but he was still productive. Um, Chris Paul can play to 40 if he if he doesn't blow out a knee, he can certainly play the, that sort of thing now, will chris's competitive nature allow him to be a diminished version of himself uh I don't know his competitive nature would would both make it likely that he would want to keep playing and make it like make mm-hmm. it possible that he would not want to keep playing right if he didn't play totally. so it's hard to know it's hard to factor that one in, but yeah, dude could play for. Duke could play for a while. Um, Jason Kidd's a good example. These these sort of pass first, great shooting uh, kid. Bad example there, but um, <laughs> but these uh, these types of point guards play can play for a long time. Um, you know, he knows more about the game of basketball than anybody else.
0: While well, while we're talking about Clipper disappointments in the uh, pass first point guards who aged well category, we can name drop Andre Miller too.
1: Oh dear! Why would you do that? <laughs> do that to me.
0: So so, <laughs> we went through. We went to the, in this episode. We've gone through uh, the Clippers trading Moses Malone, Tiny Archibald's injury, the Bill Walton injuries, the sale of the team to Donald Sterling, the Oklahoma City series, the um, Houston series. But it was the mention of Andre Miller's name that got the reaction out of you. <laughs>
1: Andre Miller. I do not understand Andre Miller. Got the guy. I don't like. Yeah, no, that's wow. And it looked like on paper, what a great trade that was. I was so excited in 2002. You know, it it was bad to give up Darius Miles. But the player we needed was a point guard. And Andre Miller had led the league in assists the year before. He led the league in assists and he comes into LA and he just sulked his way through the entire season um like it was it was bizarre he just everything about him everything about him he just didn't want to be there uh and you, and he goes you know you go to uh you go to the portland series where uh, the portland game where didn't he like shove Blake Griffin oh, yeah. for no reason on a play like he just always hated the clippers
0: he like he like gave blake blake griffin was like underneath the basket getting ready for a rebound and andre just ran him from the from the three-point line and hit him with like a blindside block basically just leveled him
1: uh, yeah it was the the full-on full speed um out of nowhere like away
0: from the play just leveled him
1: yeah like a defensive back spearing yeah and that was it was like weird dude weird dude um but absolutely like I was so excited that was the player that we needed on that team. Um, and, and he was just a disaster. All
0: terrible. right. I, so let's, let's transition here into the last um, bit of Clipper history that we're going to talk about today, which is, we've talked a little bit here about Chris Paul and maybe the, you know, there's some recency bias and some ring bias in how we're thinking about him right now, just a few years removed what about maybe the, the era just prior of Clipper history, this kind of Elton brand era in the mid two thousands, which I know, uh, you know, has a lot of meaning to both you and I, because it was when I really started following the team and following the NBA in general and, and getting into basketball as a kid, it was when you of course started blogging about the Clippers and, uh, kind of put into motion the series of events that, uh, Lead to us having this conversation today, in a way. Um, what? What's? Where do you think? Obviously, I don't know. Maybe you disagree with me. It, you know, it feels fair to me that Elton Brand isn't on this seventy-four player list of NBA history. But where does he rank for you? Maybe in this conversation that we're having about Chris Paul as most production for the Clippers.
1: Well, there's, for me. You can't again when we fill, factor in production with the team, right? Not mm-hmm. not full career or anything else, you know. So, so Bill Walton, sure, um, but you know, he didn't produce with the team. So, there's probably only five names that that need to be discussed in any sort of Mount in any sort of Clippers Mount Rushmore. Um and I would say that they're Chris Paul, Elton Brand, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Randy Smith. Mm-hmm. Um and there's other obviously great, great names and uh and and you know, we see all the other names that are on the top 74 list and, and Chris Paul is the only one that uh that is, but most of those people had their best seasons elsewhere. Um and those five are the ones that, that you know were productive with the Clippers and had their best seasons with the Clippers. Um, I mean, you could argue Chris had better seasons with New Orleans, but he had great seasons with the Clippers. So um, I, I, am I missing anybody of those the five? I
0: don't know. Do you think that, you think that um, the 90s deserve a little representation?
1: I think I can honestly – I think I feel comfortable saying that those five, in terms of productivity for the team, let's look up – Like Danny Manning? Look at Danny Manning. Um, Manning would be the the, the one, I think. Ron Harper wasn't there long enough. I mean, just so many just weren't there.
0: Yeah, I guess that that era, that was just a really short – Right, Larry Brown showed up and left after the first year or something?
1: Siding uh, teams, but... So Danny played out his first contract. He played uh, five full seasons and was traded in the uh, sixth and um, and, uh, and obviously missed most of his rookie year with the injury. Um, so Danny, you yeah, know, maybe Danny deserves that uh deserves deserves to be there um he he's borderline i would say just because he just wasn't um he just wasn't there that long um so how long was chris, chris was a clipper for seven seasons
0: um i think it's six you could be wrong i should know probably yeah it's uh it's six
1: Okay, so, so Chris was was uh, was about the same uh, in terms of longevity with the Clippers, but had much more success. Mm-hmm. Um, so Danny's borderline. Um, Blake
0: Blake was there longer and had more success.
1: Was there longer, had more success. DeAndre was there the the longest of the group. Randy Smith, or I mean, Randy Smith is Randy Smith, um, and you know he gets on just from the Iron Man sort of aspect of it, and from the, you know, uh, only franchise that he ever played for. I mean, he should be the, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk about retired jerseys, he should be the first retired jersey, in my opinion. He just, he is um, the, the Buffalo Braves. Um, wait, he went to Cleveland at the end of his career? What am I, an idiot? Huh? Then yeah, we came back to San Diego um so anyway i th- those would be my group um and yeah manning would be the one uh that you could discuss as being uh being a sixth one in in, in that mm-hmm. i guess um, so but so brand, brand would be top three right um and probably i'd probably put him ahead of blake right now
0: yeah Okay, so what is that, um, I guess these, these two kind of windows that 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 cropped up right here, which is like this early 90s window, uh, which is a, I know when you started really following the Clippers and becoming a Clippers fan, and then this mid-2000s window with Elton Brand, where you started writing about the Clippers. Um, I think it might be interesting for folks to hear you just talk a little bit about kind of what these two eras were like for you and your evolving fandom um, and what like these, these two first getting into the team and then getting into writing about the team and kind of creating this sort of online Clippers ecosystem that is now, you know, much, much bigger. Uh, You know, can you just talk a little bit about, about those two kind of time periods for you You as a Clippers fan?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Throughout all of that time, you just cannot get away from the the problem of Donald Sterling, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so when you go back to the early '90s teams, um, the '92, so and and uh, people are probably aware that that we're, um that prime ticket is showing these classic Clippers games. So, just a couple of nights ago, I rewatched the playoff game from 92 uh, between the Clippers and the Jazz game four. A game that I was at, by the way, in the LA sports arena um, at the LA riots, as, as the city was still shut down. I said the sports arena, it wasn't in the sports arena, it was at the Anaheim Convention Center because the sports arena was near ground zero of the whole thing. So it was a very uh, strange and emotional game. Um, and I really enjoyed watching it the other day, but you look at that team, and, and so, yeah, teams always sort of work on, you know, let's, let's tweak, let's do this, let's do, let's try some things, but, you know, they, they got rid of, from that team, they got rid of um, Doc, they got rid of they got rid of a lot of interesting players from that team, and the next year's team, um, you know, was, was as good, I guess, but it was, it was different, and it, and it felt like, gee, couldn't we have kept that group together a little bit longer? That's when they brought in Mark Jackson, um, and, uh, and they had these interesting uh, center projects in Stanley Roberts, and, and um, they had some interesting things going on there, but they really struggled at center still. Um, but they were just really, really good teams. Ron Harper was uh, was always a favorite player of mine um, and a rare sort of um, Clipper good trade, right? And we want to talk about the, the history of all this stuff. When they drafted Danny Ferry um, and he uh, refused to sign with them, uh, they ended up uh, – Switching, uh, trading him for Ron Harper, and you know, say what you will about Danny Ferry, but Ron Harper was the better NBA player. I don't think any, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of di- di- dispute about that. Um, so, and they got Loy Vaught in that trade also. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was one of the rare uh, wins in trading for Clippers. Um, Charles Smith was a nice player. Uh, you know, it was it was a really good team. And then, you know, and then Larry leaves and the next season was just a mess. You know, it just, it just didn't, they won 27 games. Um, you know, they, they, once again, you know, this is uh, about the time that Harper does the uh, I'm getting out of prison quote. Um, you know, it just, it was just a mess. Um so you can't really uh, separate the, the team from the owner during that era. It always, it always felt like it just wasn't going to last because no one, no one was going to stay. No one was – they weren't building – it never felt like they were building stuff. So you could, you could luck into a good group, but you weren't going to keep them. You weren't going to keep them together. Uh, and you know, if you were paying attention, you kind of knew that. So I, I kind of knew that. I was hoping that that they could, and I really liked those those 92, 93 teams. Um, John John Hotplate Williams was one of my favorite players back then. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was frustrating because you just had a feeling that it wasn't going to happen, and and they lost in the first round in both those. Uh, both those years but both times that was in the era of five game series both times they took it to a fifth game they didn't have home court advantage they lost to the stockton malone uh jazz in game five in 90 uh in 92 and they lost to the um they lost to the rockets um in 93 so um you know they had they they were good they were they were talented they won games um, but you just had a feeling it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna hold together. Now, when you flash forward to the Dunleavy era, the early Dunleavy era, I guess, um, Dunleavy sort of started to force Sterling to be a little more normal, right? He sort of got Sterling to start um, to start resigning some people. Um, you know, it was, it, it, it was a little bit different. It still, it still felt like a problem, but you kind of, at that point, I could kind of look at it and say, Hmm, you know, maybe they're going to start acting like, you know, a professional basketball team. Maybe, uh, they're going to, they're going to keep this together. So, um, you know, and then, so gosh, that, that Andre Miller situation, you know, you had brand and you had. Uh, Odom, and you had, uh, um, I'm trying to look for, and you had Corey McGee, who was who was um, super productive, and you had uh, you had Eric Payakowski, who had his role, and you had some guys that you know that really had you had a, you had some really good talent, and you had some really good role players, and it was an interesting group, right? Quentin Richardson. Um, Darius Miles, who then ended up getting traded for Andre. Um, and then in flash forward to the 05 06 season, and the Clippers bring in Sam Cassell. And at the time, I thought that is not a good trade. And by this <laughs> time, you know, yeah. But this time, you've there's been a lot of turnover, right? Um, Brand is still there. McGetty still there. But that – those early uh, – I think they're going to show the game. You, fans will know the the reference here. I think there's, they're showing on this Clipper Classic thing, they're showing a game from May 21st of – oh, sorry, from March 2nd of 2001. Uh, they're showing it on May 21st in a couple days. Uh, it's against the Kings, and it was the game where Sean Rooks gets a rebound and throws it the link to the court mm-hmm. to Corey Maggette, no, to uh, Lamar, who throws a no-look mid-air, you know, scooping, twirling lob to Darius Miles, who flushes it, and it's just like, oh, my God, what a fun team, right? This That team was just off the hook. Um, but when they... Brought in Sam Cassell, it became a team that got serious about winning. Um, and again, I didn't, I didn't like the trade at the time. I didn't think it was a great trade, but Cassell just was, you know, what they needed. Um, and so you had Brand playing at a um, All Star, you know, getting MVP votes type of level, right? Yeah. You had. Uh, you had um, Sam and you had Contino Mobley doing what – doing Cantino Mobley things. Um, it was it was a really, really solid team, and that's when I started the blog. Um, and I had been you know, following them closely and sending emails and, and sort of talking incessantly about them to people who wanted me to stop talking about them because they weren't Clipper fans at the same level. So I started the blog, and in, in, during the playoffs that year um, – between, in fact, the Denver series and the uh, um, Phoenix series. Uh, that's when I just started a, a blog spot, um, you know, just grabbed a free URL and just started writing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so the rest is history. Now they're showing uh, a Nuggets playoff game from 2006 on Prime Ticket uh, on May 28th, they're showing that game. And on May thirtieth, they're showing um, a Suns game from that playoff series. So uh, it's going to be interesting that that Suns game on May thirtieth that they're showing. uh, I I could actually go back and look at what I wrote about that game. (laughs) Fourteen years later, I could look at what I wrote about that that game while watching that game. That would be crazy. Um, But. You know, just a, a really good team, and, and you know, such a shame that they they did try to to keep it together, but uh, a lot of injuries and a lot of um, a lot of just sort of bad luck.
0: Um, well, and I I didn't remember that. Um, Cassell, when the Clippers traded for Cassell, he was already thirty six.
1: Yeah, no, he was not a young player. At so
0: all I knew he was the older veteran presence, but I didn't remember that he was that old. And so he comes in and he has this great first year at 36. And then I think a big part of the drop-off between 06 and 07 can just be attributed to Sam Cassell being 37 instead of 36 and not scoring or creating at the same rate that he, that he did the year before. And then the injuries really start to pile up.
1: Right. Um and, and I mean, most of the problems for, uh, for that 05 or sorry, that 06 07 team, um, there was a lot of it was just injury related. They had, they had a lot of guys, that's a lot of games in 06 07, uh, And they, you know, they weren't at the level where they could, where they could really um, withstand, you know, injuries to key players in that level. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking at the stats now. I'm, Pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly. So, um, yeah, so uh, was that the that year that Livingston did that? Was that that one? Cassell played 58 games. Livingston played 54 games. Um, they just had a disaster in the backcourt. Um, yeah. Just never put it together that next season. Um, but, good teams, fun teams, um, solid, uh, you know, say what you will about Cayman, but, um, a, a, a good center. Um, and you know, the Cayman brand combination had the potential to be, you know, one of the, one of the really supplying front courts in the league. Um, but ended up never, never really having great seasons at the same time. Um, Uh yeah, that's when I that's when I started the blog. Uh and then I went through you know a few years of purgatory after that. Um but uh yeah, so brand two seasons later is when he
0: Yeah. And that 007 was the was the Livingston year. Um and so I think the combination of you know, you probably make that Yarich Cassell trade if you're the Clippers thinking well, we can trade for a 36 year old starting point yard because we've got 20 year old Sean Livingston. Right. Right. And then in that 07 year, Cassell drops off majorly in that from 36 to 37. Cassell also misses 30 games. And then, you know, two thirds of the way through the season, Livingston has the, the knee injury, of course. And that was the year that um, we ended up with like Jason Hart was, was starting games at point guard, I think. Right. Yeah, so. You know, um, they, have,
1: they had Will Conroy starting in some games at at the point
0: guard. If I'm not. Mistaken. Yeah. You, you know, you know, that that was, you, you asked if that was the year and I just went to the uh, roster for that season and sorted it by position and they had six point guards on the roster that year. And I was like, yep, that was the year.
1: <laughs> six point guards, you know, so here you are not you know you're not a top top team mm-hmm. trying to squeeze your way into the playoffs and you know Hart who's you know yeah.
0: Jason Hart is like like a replacement level journeyman backup, like a below average backup who you're fine with as he floats around the league ends up starting. Yeah. And
1: it was in Greece uh for several years before coming back to the order for you know no i mean it's just yeah it was, yeah it's uh it was that it was really the point of our position that that ended up doing them in um they just didn't uh they didn't have they didn't have uh, anybody that they could rely on there with Quinn to and uh and they were both out so yeah it was uh it was a frustrating season because it was you know Coming off of that playoff run, uh, it felt like um, it felt like it was going to be a really good season. But but yeah, Cassell, You know, I didn't want. I didn't think the Cassell trade was great because of his age. He pulled it together. He he had a great first season in A, mm-hmm. way. and then you know, and then he didn't that,
0: so. yeah. So so you know, you you mentioned kind of starting with these uh, email chains and then getting that blog spot in the 2006 playoffs. How, I mean, what, what's your reaction now, 14 years later, looking at the way the NBA internet has, has, (laughs) I mean, it's exploded into this. I mean, could you ever have imagined something like this happening, you know, from these seeds that you were kind of a part of?
1: Well, and it's not even just NBA, right? I mean, when you look at um, when you look at media, and and I actually, you know, did did uh, took some college courses for a journalism degree in the interim, also,
0: um,
1: <laughs> and and it's just it's just crazy um, what has changed in that time. You know, I the 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 blogosphere was very convenient for me because I wanted to talk about the Clippers. Little did I know that schmo writing about topic that they care about could become, you know, could become a a major factor in American politics in American, you know, in, in sports in, you know, in just so many things. And, and in some cases now we're talking about, you know, 15 year old influencers on Instagram, right? I mean, it's, (laughs) On completely crazy, on on media, on social media, and of course, you know, the blogosphere was was the was the first sort of um, the first successful part of that. I I would argue, um, you know, but it's it's gotten more. It's gotten shorter. It's gotten you know uh, more towards Twitter and Instagram and shorter mm-hmm. shorter content um and it's gotten i i would also argue less serious you know um people know the name kevin arnovitz also and i think we've talked about this a little bit before but oddly kevin and i both started writing about Cl- the clippers about the same time i think he started um clipper blog in april of 2006 and i started um Cl- clips nation um in May of two thousand and six uh, and you know and both of us we both sort of had this very serious very um, very uh, i don't know esoteric you I know mean, we, we we didn't we weren't going woo yay clippers you know we were yeah. doing analysis we were we were we were thoughtful we were and and, and there's less and less of that um, it seems also so. Uh, it, I, you know, obviously I had no idea any of this was going to happen. And when I think back to some of my courses where I was looking at online media, um, and sort of, gee, uh, this could, this looks like this trend could be disturbing. I had no idea. Like the, the way that, 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 you know, that YouTube has, has become a problem and the way that there's just so many things that are, that are, that are problematic in our society that just have to do with people having, you know, having the tools to be able to, to communicate what they want to communicate. And, and, you know, it was great for me. And I, and I like to think I did a decent job of it, but, but now we have people making, you know, conspiracy videos and getting you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of views on them. And, you know, it's just uh, the, the, it's a disturbing situation right now. And, and it's, uh, I guess I've gotten a little more political than than you probably wanted me to. That's fine. But uh, but it's it's really weird to think back to fourteen years ago when when this was just, you know, an avenue for me to talk about the Clippers. See mm-hmm. the, the sort of non-professional journalism, you know, the 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 amateur journalism, however you want to call it, um, the way that it has changed. Uh, mostly for the worse, right? It's not good.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty, some pretty uh, bad stuff out there <laughs> for sure. Um, but but it's cr- yeah, it's crazy the way that it's developed into a whole ecosystem. And you even look at um, you know a place like Clips Nation, where you know you saw over the years, um, and then when I took over, I definitely saw over the years this constant. You know, I mean, I got into it right when I was, um, I think, when I was was fourteen, starting um, really commenting a lot and posting a lot at Clips Nation. Got into it the same reason why you did a few years prior, which is I just really wanted to talk about the Clippers, and my parents were sick of me talking about it all the time.
1: Right.
0: Um, and so I went online and I found people to talk about it with, and this just constant like corporate push over the years to to make something profitable and to farm clicks and you know hit those keywords and, you know, optimize for search engines. And a lot of this kind of uh, sensationalist fan stuff that you're talking about also comes from that because it's, well, what are, you know, what is the average fan going to want to click on? And of course the, you know, the media executives have very low opinions of normal people. And so it's like, well, they're going to want to click on, um, you know, pretend LeBron is coming to your team. That's what will get them to click on it. Right. Um, and you know, or put put Lakers in the headline, so you get the Lakers fans clicks. Whatever it is, um, and that that was certainly the case um, over the years. Until now, Clips Nation has basically been, you know, gutted and turned into like a, um, you know, what's the cookie cutter, you know, cookie cutter search engine site. Um, well,
1: I mean, in the in the in the SB Nation. Gig economy, California, and, and that whole thing. Yeah, they 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 couldn't do anything else. Um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, and the and the idea of people finding their niche, the idea of of you know of you finding a Clippers communicate community to to talk to, that was so great. But the logical conclusion of that is neo-nazis finding their niche also i mean it's it's a scary it's you know these are things that happen these are the consequences of 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 how of of how this works um and and you know in retrospect maybe we should have seen it coming um i have a i have a a history of clips nation story that maybe we can go out on sure um, yeah and i'm trying to find there it is um no that's not it um in 2000 when was it so yeah it was december 2006 so the blog was not very old um there was a rumor that alan iverson that the Clippers were going to trade, trade for alan iverson you remember that or not
0: i do not remember that
1: um and Clips Nation as a blog was very young at that point in time, and I um, and I wrote about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I got so many clicks at that point. Um, and it was it was very strange for me because like and and I'm I mean, we're talking this is the first season of the blog. it's December, uh, I'd only switched to the SB Nation platform at the beginning of the season there, and I literally you know had the page counts in the tens and twenties at that point in time, like there was just nobody and then suddenly, boom, th- this thing goes crazy and and I felt I felt like. I felt a little slimy and I don't know that I would have done it exactly the same way, but oh my God, in the development of my blog, um, such, such a huge event to get me on the map. Right now I didn't make it up from whole cloth, right? It wasn't, it wasn't nothing. Um, After I had written about it, uh, the LA times wrote, wrote basically what I had written so my sources were were decent I had de- a decent story on it um, I went too far I said I you know I, I said you know that it was going to happen or whatever I don't know how I said it but but I went too far with it and I would have done that differently but the story that I had um, was you know was not an inaccurate story um, so but just crazy the clicks right I mean and, and yeah that's how you That's, that's how you get eyeballs is just say crazy stuff. And that wasn't my style at all. But way back in the early days of the blog, um, I did exactly that.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a hard line to walk because at a certain point it is what people want to talk about. Right. So I, you know, I have tried over the years to walk a rational line, uh, which is I will, oftentimes when a rumor crops up, I will say this rumor doesn't make sense. Right. Um, But at the same time, like you can't not cover trade rumors or trade speculation. Like that is the, the lifeblood of what NBA fans are interested in right now. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, um, I don't know if this was the case or if you guys had these kinds of analytics uh, when, when you were running the blog, but the beginning of July, the first two weeks of July, we get, we do a a third of our year in the first two weeks of July.
1: Right.
0: Um, And the playoffs are better than the regular season, but not anywhere close in no two week playoff series. Do you get close to the first two weeks of July? And the second biggest time of the year is the first week of February with the trade deadline. That's, that's just how it is. So I think it's a really difficult line to walk. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. That, that generally I wish that people would do a better job of trying to navigate that situation because we see things like on SportsCenter center talking about, is Giannis going to force a trade to the Warriors two years from now? Like it, you know, we need to, it, we need to definitely, I think, collectively be be better at, at navigating that. But yeah, that's an interesting story from the early days of ClipStation. I did not remember that Allen Iverson rumor. That must have been um, before I was really online in my Clippers fandom. So I would have only been, you know, watching Ralph and Mike. Um, I think it was around uh, whenever the Clippers traded for Camby. I remember that being like one of my first like online Clippers moments. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thanks for that story. And thanks for, thanks for, uh, you know, talking today. We've gone a little bit over our time. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up. We do have one, one question someone sent in on Twitter that I, uh, think maybe is a fitting one to end on given where most of our conversation was today in Clippers history. Uh, Francis Meek asks in 10 years, will I be reading a why trading Shea was the Clippers biggest mistake piece, including the line, of course, no one could have predicted um, that the league would shut down for two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic, kind of fitting it right in with, um, you know, this, well, how could you have, How could we have known Moses Malone was going to be Moses Malone and that Tiny Archibald was going to win another ring and that Bill Walton wasn't going to play for three years. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little more optimistic about this, this Kawhi era, but uh, certainly something to be thinking about, especially because, Shaquille Hills Alexander is really, really freaking good.
1: Well, I tell you, the I ignoring the the shape aspect of it, the you want to talk about franchise curses. You know, the Clippers have their their best roster by far. the The team that is generally considered, you know, if there is one a favorite to win an NBA title in the year, that there probably won't be an NBA title, right? I mean. <laughs> With all the ways to be cursed. That might be um, that might be the, the the most amazing one. And I and I'll flip it around also. I look at I look at teams that are just so franchises that are so freaking lucky. You know you're lucky when you're when you're you get lucky when you're bad also, right? The Warriors in a season where they're going to miss the playoffs. Are gonna, you know, they're gonna get the first, they're gonna have the Mm -hmm. worst record and get a great draft pick in a year that there are no playoffs. (laughs) And you go back to, you go back to um, the uh, the uh, the Spurs from the late yeah. They missed Duncan. (laughs) Year where where um, David
0: uh, Robinson missed the whole year, right?
1: The whole year they missed the playoffs. And and get Tim Duncan uh, with the first round the first pick in the draft, and that was that was right after the Clippers had gotten Michael Oluwakandi. Like people <laughs> complain, people say, oh, Clippers are stupid. They drafted Michael Oluwakandi. Who who are you going to take? Ray LaFrance, Mike Bibby. There was no Tim Duncan in that draft, guys. You know, Michael Candy was was the consensus first pick. Now. He wasn't a great player, but there were no great players in that draft. Um, and that's that's when you know that you're that you you're a blessed franchise when when even when you're bad, something really good comes out of it. So the, the <laughs> first playoffs one year and get Tim Duncan out of it. The you know the Warriors are gonna miss the playoffs one year. Let's we'll see what they get out of it. I think I mean I think the Warriors time is over regardless, but but man, I'm gonna be mad if it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, well, we're going to wrap it up. We went a little over our time, but I think it was worth it. It was a really enjoyable conversation. I hope that everybody listening enjoyed hearing a lot of us rambling about Clippers history. And then a little bit about, uh, you know, the history of the Clippers web as well. Uh, once again, this is the Lobby Jam, the podcast. I was your fill in host for Dr. Shap, Lucas Han. You can find me on Twitter at Lucas Jahan. Of course, uh, check out the blog, at 213hoops.com or at 213hoops on Twitter. Uh, Steve is also on our masthead at 213hoops. Maybe we'll get uh, something from him soon, maybe about that 2006 playoff game. Uh, that actually sounds like an interesting piece, Steve, if you're up for it. So uh, yeah, do you have any, any final words to sign off for our listeners?
1: Uh, it was, I've had fun. Thanks for having me. It's been great.
0: Awesome. All right, well, stay tuned for a new episode coming soon from Rob and Dr. Schapp. And until next time, go Clippers.